Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around your period? Are you wondering if it's possible to be feminist and anti-birth control? We're going to explore these questions and so much more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast, because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in this journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, feminism, and fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on today. Oh, it's always fun to talk to you, Bridget. All right. So before we get started, for those listening, introduction to Tim. Tim is a husband, father of three, and an aspiring superhero. As a Marvel fan, I'm all about that. He loves cheesecake, although it doesn't always love him back. (laughs) In 2017, after six years as a parish youth minister, Tim became a stay-at-home dad and developed the ministry Love Worth Chasing with his beautiful bride. Tim believes that most of the world's problems are caused by a failure to recognize the dignity of the self and the dignity of the other, and by not enough people wearing comfy pants. Could not agree more. So excited to have you on to have this conversation. And before we jump into the topic, tell us a little bit more about your story and why you and your wife founded Love Worth Chasing. Well, so yeah, as you you mentioned, I did uh, parish youth ministry and actually I started as a part-time youth minister, which a part-time youth minister is really just a full-time youth minister for part-time pay. (laughs) Um, It literally, I sat down for the first day for the boss to give me the job. And he, he, right before he slid the piece of paper across with what he was paying me, he looked at me and said, now, you know, no one gets into ministry to be rich. And I was like, well, that's a great, like, I knew that, but that's not how, you know, it was just hilarious to be like, before I tell you what I'm going to pay you, it's going to be nothing. Just get, you know, get that in your head. And I loved that. That was a fantastic way to, anyway, so I did that. And then I took that parish and three other parishes and I developed a four parish youth ministry program, which is even more chaotic than it sounds. Because when you're planning a retreat at one parish, you typically say, oh, I got to clear this with like the, the schedule with the parish secretary, the pastor, the CCD director, the whatever. Yeah, whatever you had to clear, multiply it by four for every single event. And so it was absolute chaos and it was fantastic. Uh, and so I, I did that. And that's actually how I met my wife. We needed more help. And she was at a ministry program, a youth ministry program that was kind of winding down. And so I was like, hey, you guys want to come help with this massive retreat we have that we're desperate for help? Oh, sure. So they came over and did that. And uh, so, yeah, I met my wife doing that. And uh, she fell in love with me right away. And uh, I honestly didn't notice her right away. Um, I always say, you know, it's because I had prayed for God to blind me to women while I focused on the ministry. Um, I'm not sure my wife buys that, but that's, you know, that's what I think it's also, I'm just aloof. I'm, I'm just <laughs> men. We just don't recognize you, women are like, Oh, I can, I can tell I like that guy. And I can tell if he likes me and men are just sitting there like, Hey, cheesecake. Like, you know, we're just not, not that aware. There's just something to us. So, um, yeah, I got married to my wife and she is a high risk OB nurse and teaches nursing clinicals. She's always worked in OB. And so she has seen a lot of brokenness and I've seen a lot of brokenness in the people we've worked with. And, and obviously we've seen our own brokenness. I think a lot of people in ministry don't talk about that enough. They're like, Oh, I used to be broken. Then I found God. Now look at me. And it's like, no, okay. 
I'm still, John Paul II went to reconciliation once a week and I ain't no John Paul II. So let's just, you know, leave it at that. But um, yeah, we, we decided we, we'd seen a lot of brokenness. We'd experienced our own. And I, I just felt this call on my heart and my wife fully supported me in, in developing this where we would talk about the dignity of people and we would talk about NFP, theology of the body, sex, marriage, dating, just relationship, all, all sorts of things like that. And so, yeah, and being a stay-at-home dad, it allows me to do this in between, you know, when my wife is home working or home from work, excuse me. So, yeah, that's, that's, so awesome. that's kind of the deal. Yeah. I love I've, it. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your ministry? <laughs> I'm jumping right yeah, in and being like, tell yeah. us more. We're not going to jump into the topics yet because I love sure, what you sure, guys sure. are doing. Well, yeah. I mean, um, we, we, we cover, like I said, a whole bunch of different topics and we post a lot on social media. We're available for speaking gigs, all that stuff. Um, but we really want to go out of our way to not only talk about dignity, but make sure that people are able to see themselves in what we're talking about. Uh, we want to not just say, oh, hey, here's, you know, here's what you should try to be. It's like, no, here's where you might be and here's what you might struggle with. And, and to really help people understand that their struggles are real and that their struggles, they're not alone in their struggles. So, uh, you know, we do a lot of that stuff, take a lot of those different approaches to, to really recognize, you know, where people are coming from. Uh, I also have always had just this very odd approach to things. I mean, one of my favorite days in my life and in ministry was when I was listening to someone talk about the Bible. And I found out that in Galatians 5.12, St. Paul tells the Galatians, well, the Judaizers in Galatia, stop arguing about circumcision. I wish you would all just castrate yourselves. It would solve the problem. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Like, why are we not telling the everyone that that's in the Bible. That is the kind of stuff. It gets people's attention. And it's just, I don't know, it's really cool. Tell every seventh grade boy in the world that they'll be like, I got to read the Bible more. So <laughs> I like, I like coming at things from a bit of a different angle. And I've, I'm, I'm the person who doesn't feel uncomfortable saying things. I once posted on social media, you know, oh, penis, sex, vulva, these are not bad words. And a bunch of people like, yeah, you're right. And then one woman got really mad at me on Facebook and she was like, I thought this was a family ministry. This was friendly. I'm like, did I say bad words? What happened? I just yeah, felt right. so bad for this woman that she thought that those were bad words. And I'm like, I didn't say them in front of your four-year-old. I posted them on my Facebook, you know, page which, or whatever you will see through your account unless your four-year-old has that account. exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so yeah i remember anyway. that post because i was like yes here we oh. go because it is one of those things where individuals either meet that and i think most do with just like oh oh yeah like we can say that oh because i think we've just been so overwhelmed with I think we've been overwhelmed and underwhelmed. We have like, I, I start to divide them in like porn culture, purity culture, and we get so fixated yes. on porn and just like the disorder and sex and what we're seeing and the help that you need in that area. And that's all real. That's true. But then we forget that there's an underserved group of people and there's a large group of us in that. And I would put myself in that category that were really impacted and have been impacted through purity culture where it's just this idea that, okay, let's, let's try to turn the other way. And we're going to swing so hard the other way that we can't even say words like sex 
or penis or vagina because they're dirty. It's gross. It's bad. We shouldn't talk about it. But then when you're married, like it's all going to be okay. And then it's, it's normal, but not to say out loud to anybody, just to your spouse. I, I have a friend. I, I have a friend who was in the hospital having just given birth. Another friend, this is a woman gave birth and then her female friend came to visit her and she was like struggling to say the word sex because it was, that was the conversation. And the woman who had just given birth goes, this is evidence that I've had sex. Like it's right <laughs> here, this baby, like we can say it. It's not a bad thing. And it was right. like, I loved the reality of that, that, you know, yeah, we, most of us, like you said, have been affected by purity culture, porn culture, or both. Mm-hmm. And to, to shed what those two have forced upon us without shedding what is good, uh, without stripping yes. away what is still good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so this is really tying in with today's topic. We're going to be talking about motherhood and fatherhood. And to really build the framework for this conversation, we have to set the foundation. And Tim, you're, you're willing and ready to do that for us. So you've told me before that you have a strong dislike for weak arguments. And I want you to tell us why and give us an example of a weak argument as we, as we get into this foundation, because this matters. <laughs> Setting oh. the stage. Oh, it matters a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, so <laughs> You see a lot of this. Oh my gosh, the existence of social media in the YouTube comment section has just been like, hey, let's make the worst possible argument ever. Like it's absolutely, it's absolutely pathetic. And you know, you look at it like this person A makes an argument. And I'm talking like a philosophical argument, not not just yelling at each other. Person A makes an argument and it has some holes in it. Person B then responds with an incredibly weak argument. Well, by comparison, person A's argument looks really strong. So anytime you make a weak argument, you strengthen somebody else's bad argument by comparison. So I really don't like that. Now, an example I I love to use, because this is not, you know, like official church teaching in Catholicism. There's no Christian doctrine behind it anywhere. But there is a strong tradition in the Catholic Church that Mary didn't have labor pains. There's no definitive, did she, didn't she, whatever it is. Well, I've, I've heard several arguments about that. Like apparently Thomas Aquinas, the great philosopher, said that, well, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it says she gave birth and then she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Well, a woman who just gave birth and had labor pains wouldn't have had the physical strength to do that. I've talked to a whole bunch of women who have given birth. And every time I present that argument, they look at me like, what is he talking about? What do you mean? He, she wouldn't have the physical, like, yes, she very well could. And I'm like, yeah, see Tommy Aquinas might not have ever seen a woman give birth. I have no idea. Like no disrespect to the angelic doctor there, but it's, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take my wife's word having, she's having, she's given birth multiple times over, you know, Tommy Aquinas there, or, you know, uh, you know, other arguments like that. Um, there's, there's one that says, oh, Mary didn't have labor pains because Mary was sinless. And the Bible says labor pains are a result of sin, therefore no labor pains. Well, Catholic answers, apologist Trent Horn pointed out that, okay, Bible also says original sin is the cause of death. Well, Jesus didn't have original sin. Therefore Jesus didn't die. Wait a minute. That doesn't work. Okay. So the very logic doesn't line up with the existing belief of, you know, Christianity. So you can't have one that defeats the other. So these weak arguments, I just, I don't like them because 
Mary may very well have not had labor pains. I don't know. I wasn't there. But if you only present weak arguments for it, well, you're just going to weaken your position. And too often that happens, you know, with the family. Like for years, I've heard people say that I shouldn't be a stay-at-home dad because the dads are supposed to be the leaders of the family. But that's actually a really weak argument because it applies an economic structure to the family. You know, the head of the company makes the most money. Therefore, the head of the family makes the most money. But the family's the original cell of society. So economic structures are subordinate to the family and they can't change the family any more than like my daughter can change my genetics. It doesn't go that direction. So it's a weak argument. And, you know, people tend to live in weak arguments a lot. So I don't know. <laughs> I re- okay. So I really like this. And I think just getting into the aspects that you said with your own role as a stay at home dad and how often you're met with criticism for that because and the arguments towards it, it's just like, well, okay, like, cool. So you think I, you know, my role doesn't matter or doesn't, shouldn't exist because of how much money I make or where I work or what I do. And just how we have these weird definitions that we've applied for motherhood and fatherhood when that does, is that really what matters most? Does that really make the most sense? Like, is that really helping us or hindering us? Because I've seen these arguments too, and, and, and conversations and whether they're, you know, structured, thoughtful arguments, or they're just crazy and yelling around definitions of motherhood and fatherhood specifically, you know, trying to understand like, well, what's a woman's role? What's a man's role? And very traditional, like, oh, well, women have to do X, Y, and Z. Like they have to wear, I've seen a lot of this in, in the space of the Catholic world in teaching not teaching, but like people trying to make it teaching, like women have to wear skirts. Our Lady of Fatima said so, I don't know where, but I've heard that argument too, that they have to wear skirts and they have to be stay at home and they shouldn't be working and they can't be working because it's detrimental to the family. And it's like, which are Fatima, <laughs> it, Fatima, Fatima is private revelation. Yes, we all may be aware of it, but Fatima is not considered public revelation because it happened after the time of the end of public revelation at the end of the, you know, death of the last apostle. And so Fatima is private revelation and therefore something you don't even have to believe happened. Now, it, it, I, I, I believe Fatima happened, but it's not intended as universal doctrine. Mm-hmm. So if you say, oh, well, the, the, the message at Fatima was X. Well, that doesn't actually mean it applies to everybody because it wasn't public revelation. It was private revelation. So, you know, again, bad arguments. I mean, you can't have A defeat A if it conflicts with B and B is considered foundational. So I don't know. As a, <laughs> there, well, and there's so much to be said there. So I think, you know, let's jump into definitions and what does that look like? You know, you talked about, okay, there are specific definitions and there are universal definitions. What's the difference? And genuinely, yeah, I'm so, like, what is the difference? <laughs> because this is yeah. where I get really, you know, I, I struggle with this when I do see these arguments for especially around motherhood, fatherhood and, and roles, it's like, gosh, I, I start to, I start to feel like I'm drowning. Yeah. So this is, this is where you you start to get into a little bit of philosophy and stuff where people want very specific answers and the answers sometimes sound vague. So let me give you this Uh, universal definition is quite simply something that remains the same, regardless of circumstances. So if it's you, if it's me, if it's the other side of the world, if it's 2 a.m., if it's 300 years ago, whatever it is, it's the same. And so like murder is wrong. 
murder has always been wrong. We, we learned that in one of the Ten Commandments thousands of years ago. That's not new information. Universally, murder is wrong. But then you get into something, specific definition, something that applies to an individual or a collection of individuals and their subjective experience. So killing is permissible in cases of self-defense. Killing is not permissible in cases of murder. So it varies from individual to individual or case to case. So I think the, the big problem we have People talk a lot about uh, reductionism or reducing things uh, where we take the whole and we end up defining it by one or more of its parts rather than by the whole itself. Um, This happens a lot in regards to the sexual act. We'll say, oh, well, the sexual act, it's just about pursuit of orgasm or, oh, it's just to serve as a mechanical means for reproduction. Well, you and I both know that it is far more than just one of those things. It's many different things. It's a glorious thing. And to reduce it to one or more of those parts, well, that it changes what it is. It makes it a lie. It reduces it. But the other direction we go is we universalize things. We take something that is specific to one person or a set of persons, and then we apply it universally and indiscriminately. Like, for example, most moms breastfeed, so all moms should breastfeed. Like, what? No, that's not how it works. Like, or, uh, you know, a f- uh, this is the idea where it's like, oh, some dads bring in the paycheck or mo- the majority of dads bring in more money than their wives. Therefore, all dads must bring in more money. It's like, no, again, you've taken something and universalized it without proper context. Um, So, I mean, this is that whole idea of reducing a father to a penis and a paycheck. Oh, he's there for reproduction and he needs to bring in the money. And those are his primary purposes. And it's like, no, fatherhood is so much more than that. And to reduce it to that disregards the grander truth about fatherhood so so would uh, you argue that motherhood and fatherhood there is a universal definition and if there is can you give them to us yeah i do i have a couple of notes in front of me so let me let me find where i wrote that because i have a very certain definition about motherhood and fatherhood that i really like to use um okay motherhood is the way that all women are called to emulate the first person of the divine trinity. And fatherhood is the way that all men are called to emulate the first person of the divine trinity. And how each one of us lives out our role as mother or father varies depending on our state and station in life. Now, that's that's the definition I like to use. Um, In fact, if you go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it even says the divine fatherhood is the source of human fatherhood. This is the foundation of the honor owed to parents, the respect of children, whether minors or adults, for their father and mother is nourished in natural effect and, and bond. But the, the point is that the father, God's fatherhood, is where the authority of mother and father come from. Each person mirrors the divine trinity. Each person is born to be either son, husband, father, or daughter, mother, wife. Now, these are giant theological ideas that are incredibly difficult for us to wrap our heads around. 
And when I say that, sometimes people be like, oh, so I'm required to have kids. Like, no, because motherhood or fatherhood are not inherently biological. Like they, they, you can be a biological father or mother, but you can also be a spiritual father or mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all, all women are called to emulate the first person of the divine trinity, God, the father, and that is motherhood. And men are called to emulate the, per- the person first person of the trinity god the father and that is human fatherhood Uh, now people people really like to get very detail specific with that but when they do they often end up elevating things that are much smaller than motherhood or fatherhood um trying to think of i have somewhere in my notes I like to take notes before I talk with people, um, but that there are very specific examples that I like to use. And now I'm trying to find them because <laughs> my notes are all over the place. Um, I apologize for that. Uh, let's see. No, it's okay. It's really just getting me thinking about different talks that I've attended where I think the speakers were grappling to try to give a list that was getting way too specific around what men should be like and what women should be like, or how do we live it out? And I remember being, I I can think of one particular time being at a a Saturday morning talk and then sitting at a table and everyone just kind of looking at each other. Like, I really don't know that I agree with this, but it's also because I'm just struggling with how specific this is getting. And now I'm starting to feel boxed in. And I think especially the women were struggling with that because they were like, well, what if I feel like I'm more of a Joan of Arc? than I am a Therese of Azure. And what if I feel like I want to be riding on a horse and going into battle and I don't necessarily feel called to serve tea and skirts. And, you know, like, it's not even like someone could think of a particular saint doing that, but it was always like this call of Joan of Arc. Like, well, I, I want to go out and do something that seems like it could be deemed as more manly or more of a man's role. But like, what if I find myself fitting more into that? Does that make me less of a woman? Yeah, see, that's that that's exactly the problem that happens when we take these specifics and we elevate them. Now, there's there's something that I always like to clarify. Like there's there's an exclusivity as opposed to a universality. So like breastfeeding is exclusively a feminine thing. It is a woman woman's thing. Men do not breastfeed. Mm-hmm. But so it is exclusively women, but it is not universally women. So that's something we need to be aware of is what is exclusively male or female as opposed to what is universally male or universally female. And I've I think sometimes, that way. sorry to cut you yeah. off, but I've just never thought about it that in that context, because I think that yeah. screws up a lot, a lot of people, it, including myself. And it's like, how do I figure out a specific, like how I'm trying to figure out a specific definition. What would that look like? Yeah, because you look at you look at some of these things like, okay, uh, moms, oh, well, we, we think moms stay home. Moms all have, they're good at crafts and have an Etsy shop. Or like, you know, she's the one who gets up with the baby in the middle of the night. My, my favorite, and this one bugs the life out of me, is when it's like, oh, you know, mom's the one who's burnt out. Yeah, moms get burnt out a lot. You know who else does? Dads, okay? Yeah. Dads get burnt out too. But I feel like a lot of people treat that as a mom problem as opposed to a mom and dad problem. So that is not an exclusive. And so we, we have problems when we say, oh, this is exclusively mom, but it's like, no, it's actually mom and dad sometimes. And so, yeah, the, the exclusivity issue and the universe, universality issue or whatever you want to call it 
I don't know. I, sometimes I just use words and there they are, but, um, no, I think it makes sense. And I'm even just thinking with your example, extrapolating on that a little bit more with the idea of burnout for parents, like for it, it impacts moms and dads. I think when you get so focused on it being only a mom thing, there, there is in some ways this, I think, tendency to think, well, it's my right to be burned out and I need this rest. And this is my time. And you're looking at your, like, for me, it's like looking at my husband and thinking, he's had a really long day doing like his work and I've been working too. And we're trying to navigate having baby. It's like, okay, well, who's going to clean up the kitchen and who's going to give our daughter a bath. And like, Oh wow, this isn't something that is only my problem. And it's not something that's just your problem. We're just using our energy in different spaces. And it doesn't mean that you're coming home, you know, he's coming home or, you know, he's worked from home, like, you know, putting down the headphones and thinking like, okay, everything's great. Like a sitcom. I mean, it's just like this, no, like we we're human. We have good days. We have bad days. This is the reality of like raising kids together. This isn't about one parent being better than the other or more nurturing than the other. And therefore has like the call to wear like the burnout hat. I don't know. Oh, just, absolutely. You know, it just gets, it starts to get really weird and it starts to break it down when you start to look at it from the, from the standpoint of, I think, you know, exclusive versus the universal definition and thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of things that I realize I apply as a universal that don't make sense and exclusive that really don't make sense. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's something I always like to, I like to point out, I was actually just thinking about this earlier today, uh, but we have, okay. So in theology of the body, the thesis is essentially the invisible is revealed through the visible. We can learn a lot about God, about the Trinity, about relationships, about marriage by observing the body. But where we need to then be careful is we lean in to that and so much so that we almost forget the fact that we are body and soul and we start to become, again, exclusive body. And it's, for example, again, I'm leaning into breastfeeding a lot talking today because I think it's a very good example because it is something that is female and relatable, but not you know exclusively female, but not universally. And think about this. Okay. Most women can breastfeed. So we see women as naturally feeding the family. Therefore, you know, women are physically designed more and designed at the, you know, whatever level for preparing the meals. And it's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. That last one, we took a weird jump. Like, but we do that. And I think we do that in, in several different ways. Um, Or we do that. Yeah. We do that with the body sometimes is that we, we take one aspect of the body and we look at its functioning and then we say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's then the definition of the person that that body part is part of. And it's like, well, no, again, you've taken one aspect and you've elevated it because, you know, these, uh, it's always, uh, I like to point out when it's, we're talking about men, there are a lot of people nowadays that are like, oh, the masculine, you know, like smoking a pipe and growing a beard and yeah. reading GK Chesterton. And I'm like, I've read like six quotes from Chesterton on, you know, on Facebook and that's it. You know, I don't smoke. I have asthma. You know, I do have a wonderful beard, but you know, like some of the most masculine men I know don't fit any of those categories. And yet we, we apply those sorts of traits, you know, it's, it's, it would be the equivalent of saying, Oh, women who've given birth are mothers. And it's like, wow, you just threw out all adoptive mothers. You threw out all spiritual mothers. It's like, there is, you can't do that without creating these, these exclusions. Uh, and that, that is a big problem with this is we use words 
Like I had a post recently on social media where it said, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Or I'm sorry, whoever said God doesn't give you more than you can handle didn't know what they were talking about. God will never give you more than he can handle. This is one reason why an intimate relationship with God is necessary. So I said, this is one reason. A lot of people would post things that say, this is the reason. It's like, ooh, now you just made something exclusive that wasn't necessarily. So a lot of the things I put up, instead of saying all, I'll say many. Instead of saying, I'm sure, I'll say, I suspect. Instead of saying is, I'll say can be. So when we, when we start to do these sorts of things, when we start to take the subjective and make it universal, we establish these ideological boundaries that don't logically exist. And then that excludes people from categories that they belong in. I think which, we do it out of fear or because we're so desiring some type of safety net that makes sense to us that we think, okay, you know, I, I need to, I need to make this jump. You know, just, I loved your example with saying, okay, well, you know, men have to all have beards and smoke pipes and read GK Chesterton and probably, you know, be super into sports and they cannot love music or do any, you know, unless they're appreciating it, but you don't play it, you know, you can't do anything, you know, like don't do your daughter's hair. Cause that's weird. That's what your wife does. You know, like just these really weird jumps. And it's yeah. like, why, like, why is it, is it a security thing? Like, what, what would you, what would you suspect that it is? And just like what you've seen? I think it's a combination of things. Um, and I think it can be different things for different people. Uh, in one, I think it's longing to know the truth. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to know, like, I'm a father, I'm a mother, what am I supposed to do? What am, you know, what is my role? I want to fill that role properly. Um, so I think for a lot of people, there really is this longing to know the truth. And so they kind of clamor onto one thing or another in an attempt to find that, find out what is the truth. Uh, I don't like to say find their truth because that's a relativism thing and I'll lose my mind if I start going down that path. Uh, but gosh, I gave a talk recently to some seniors in high school and I destroyed relativism in, I want to say 30 seconds. And they were like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, it's not hard. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, not. <laughs> it's really not. Um, the, uh, and so I do think that there's a fear component. Um, I think there's a need for control, a lack of understanding regarding the family. But we also live in this culture where like gender roles are being redefined and undefined. It seems like every other week things are changing and what the culture says is normal or acceptable or whatever. And I I really think that a lot of us are grabbing onto one thing because we know that there is a truth but we don't necessarily know how to articulate that truth. And so in the chaotic world of, oh, well, it's this, no, it's this, no, it's that. We're like, okay, I I know it's something and I want a firm foundation for my masculinity, for my femininity, for my marriage. And so we we grab onto something. Uh, And and I also think a a lot of people just don't think about it very much. We we accept what we're told. Like you said, you've, you've sat there and heard talks we, we're, we accept what we're told and we're like, oh, okay, I either like that or I don't like it. And if, I, if I'm okay with it, then I'll live that out. And if I don't like it, uh, no, I'm not going to live that out. So yeah, I think there's just a lot of confusion and we're clamoring for specifics as opposed to you know, the more generic or general example that, or definition, I should say, that, that I gave about motherhood and fatherhood being how we live out 
our role, our identity as mother and father reflecting the divine, the divine father. Yeah, it's got a few different things rolling around in my head. First and foremost, just with a, a more universal definition. I mean, I think in some ways that can almost be more intimidating and free. Oh, sure. You know, yes. I think long term, it's very freeing because it's like, oh, there's opportunity to to adventure with God, to create with him, to see where he's calling me to be so I can live out that calling freely as the way in which he calls me and not freely in like a hippy dippy relativistic way, you know, within, no. within the, you know, within, I don't even know if it's confines, but within the framework that the church provides and understanding who we, who we are created to be as men and women. And, you know, well, and so- I, I think you hit the nail on the head with something else is that there are a lot of people who are concerned that going this direction will lead you down a relativism thing. I've had people uh, criticize me for being a stay at home dad, as if I was just all, you know, completely, open to whatever gender role with whatever this and that. I'm like, no, I'm not falling into relativism. I actually have a thorough understanding of fatherhood from a theological standing, which is why I know I can be a stay-at-home dad. And I'm actually being probably a better father than I was when I was still a parish youth minister. I'm probably living my vocation out better now than I was then. But yeah, I think there's a fear of falling into a relativism. And so people clamor on to, to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like what you said too, with the specifics, I think that's sometimes what I see and what frustrates me on social media. Again, it's a grain of salt, huge grain of salt, multiple grains of salt with social media. Sure. And we're getting a snippet of someone sharing, but you know, you, we start to see a theme, you know, someone has a blog or someone is writing and they, and they're trying to really share specifics because they feel very passionately themselves that they found something that really works for them to, that makes them feel alive and, and to live out their calling. But that challenge is when you start to share it as if it's the cry for all men and women, you know, it's the battle cry to reclaim, you know, femininity and masculinity. I think that's where it starts to get dangerous because like you said, then it's taking that really specific definition and you're trying to make it exclusive or universal when really it's, it's a, you know, it's an, it's an idea someone could take from you and say, gosh, is that something I want to do in, in living out my life? You know, do I want to be reading more GK Chesterton or, Oh, am I drawn to like wearing, wearing skirts more for whatever reasons it might be. Instead of saying, this is the true way to to know that you are, because it just hearing that, I mean, I think for many, I, I would be surprised if, if not, you know, many, um, hear that and think, okay, there's something weird here. There's something wrong here. Why am I getting a list? Or why yeah, am I those, feeling like all of a sudden my world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller? And you're, you're thinking, well, I really feel like God is calling me in this space to, you know, to work in this, in this area and to be a mom, like, can't, can I navigate both? But that, you know, that creativity, I think that's involved for a lot of moms in that space. It's like, well, it's not going to be doing it all and doing it all perfectly. There's that creativity that's required of each person to say, okay, what will this look like? So my family is thriving so that my marriage is thriving so that my vocation is thriving. And I'm leaning into that first and foremost, that we're not seeing like, okay, everything's falling apart. And yet here I go in the name of feminism and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you know what? I think um, there are a lot of people in the situations you're talking about where they take that specific that works for them and when they broadcast it as a universal, they're doing it out of charity because they mm-hmm. were like, wow, look what I found that works. But they're just not seeing that other people that doesn't quite work for them. You know, it's like one of my dearest friends only goes to the tra- traditional Latin mass. I don't mind the traditional Latin mass, but it's, it's just not the one that I feel most 
most comfortable at. And right. she and I are very good friends and we have no issue with one another. It's like, oh, hey, cool. You're at mass. I was at mass too. Huh? Same Jesus. Like we're, it's, <laughs> it's, we have no conflict between us over that. If anything, we're like, hey, can you tell me about that thing? Oh, awesome. Like those are things where it's a prudential judgment. Those are things where it is a level of personal or, you know, marital discernment. It's not necessarily something where every little thing of everything applies to the same married couple. There are universal truths, you mm-hmm. know, but, and, and you got to figure out what are the universal truths and what are the prudential judgments, but you want to make sure that you're not taking the prudential judgments and applying them as universal truths that going way beyond what we're talking about that affects so many areas of life negatively. So, yeah. yeah what, so I know when we were talking about the definitions of motherhood and fatherhood, are there, are there certain, I don't know, it's not lists, but like, is there a framework to think about in the process of figuring out, okay, how do I live out? How do I live this out? How do I live out motherhood? How do I live out fatherhood in this way? Or questions to ask ourselves as we're in the process of discernment to figure out what, what would this look like? Because I think, you know, when it does feel like a more, a more broad definition, it can almost yeah. feel totally overwhelming. And you're like, uh, I would rather just have the list, like give me yeah. a skirt. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, my, my first suggestion on that is to identify your state and station in life. Like, are you single, married, in religious life, in college, raising kids, raising old, raising little kids, raising older kids? Are you struggling with depression? Are you dealing with economic problems? Like, what is your state and station in life? Because that has to be a starting point. Um, that will help direct you. Obviously, universal truth is the foundation, but then after that, you have to say, what is my state and station in life? Uh, and then, Based on that state and station in life, recognize the actual limitations and opportunities that you have. You know, where, what can't you do? What can you do? Uh, and then also identify your love language and the love languages of those around you and share that information. Uh, and then for, uh, for married men and women, you know, work to connect in a variety of ways, like praying together ask each other silly questions, you know, that you can always find goofy lists on online about that, you know, find shared interests so that you don't just become, you know, roommates who have separate interests who rarely connect uh, in other ways. And uh, yeah, do that because then you'll hopefully, I, again, see, I use that hopefully not then you will, but then you will hopefully develop a more intimate relationship, making that discernment even easier in terms of, you know, how to live all that stuff out. I really like that. And I'm going to actually type out some of those questions in the show notes too, as just, you know, not necessarily to say homework, but just to say, okay, if you really want some tangible next steps, you know, what are things that you can start asking yourself? And, and I like what you said too, with love languages and really understanding, learning more about yourself. I think that's a huge piece that we I don't know. Maybe it is talked about. I think it's more, more so maybe talked about when you have a spiritual director or you have someone that you're working with one-on-one, like a mentorship. Um, but I think we oftentimes underplay the value of growing in self-awareness in the church and understanding who we are. What, what's our temperament? How did God, how did God make me? What are my high hobbies? What are my interests? Where do I, where do I tend to go to relax? You know, and just really understanding ourselves and seeing, okay, what does that look like when it comes to you know, these universal definitions and saying, okay, you know, where, where do I want to grow? Where do I need to expand? Where is maybe God asking me to, 
adventure with him a little bit and learn more about myself or learn something new. You know, what are things that I need to shed or get rid of because they're not helping me, they're hindering me. And I think those can be intimidating and scary things to do sometimes, but it's such good work because it's really allowing us to lean into who God created us to be, who he needs us to be. Um, and I, I think too, with, when it comes to these definitions, especially with motherhood, fatherhood, we can sometimes so much glorify, well, back in the day, oh, back in the day, it was so great. <sighs> oh, back in the day, it was so awesome. It's like, you were made for this place in time. Like God didn't screw up. He didn't like yeah. for you to live in like the forties or the 1800s or the 1700s, whatever era you're like obsessed with, you know, he called you for the here and now for a really particular reason. What is it? And like how, like go about and actually uncovering it instead of just, you know, wistfully wishing that things were better and things were clear. Nothing was ever clear. If you ask, you know, if we could go back no. in time and ask someone, does this, does this make sense? They'd probably be like, no, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> my, my college degree was in history. And I can tell you, people do not understand history. They, they think, oh, you know, this is mother and fatherhood. Oh, dads have always been the, the primary wage earners. I'm like, okay, well, in the United States, we didn't have FMLA till 1993. Oh, okay. Well, up until a certain point, we didn't have breast pumps. Like, what, what do you want from me? Also, for a majority of history, moms and dads and everybody lived in the same home and worked all together. Like, it right. wasn't, it was not dad going off to his nine to five in, you know, 1792. That is a relatively... Right not relatively, that is a very modern invention. So, you know, history is just completely romanticized and misunderstood. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm starting to go into that one too. And it's like, okay, let's pull, let's pull back in. But I think this is so helpful. And I think I'm sure some people are listening, but this is great. And also wondering what does this have to do with fertility or fertility awareness or like what, what's happening? So I'm going to give you that question. What does this have to do with fertility? What does this have to do with fertility awareness? Sure. So we've, we've largely reduced things like natural family planning, charting, fertility awareness. We've largely reduced it to married couples looking to avoid pregnancy. And it's like, no, okay, you can't, you can't reduce that down to that because then you're missing out on so many other aspects of it. And understanding motherhood and fatherhood, we, we need to understand that they can be incredibly difficult but they're not some sort of a curse. Like they're a burden, but they're not a bad thing. And so knowing motherhood and fatherhood helps us know where our priorities are. It helps us recognize that like while the struggle with infertility is a very heavy cross, that struggle doesn't define us. Uh, it, it helps us to, to see that while we may have had, we may, excuse me, we may have a painful longing to meet a spouse that we haven't met yet, we're already called to live out our motherhood and fatherhood. And it, you know, it helps us recognize that while certain methods of achieving or avoiding pregnancy, you know, are not licit, the decision to actively work to achieve or avoid, it's a very personal discernment process. And we can answer, you know, anyway, the, I could talk about that more and more and more, but the better we understand our motherhood and our fatherhood, the better we can discern how to utilize our fertility, how to share our fertility and how much of a blessing it is, although it is a very, very heavy cross at times. I, I love everything that you just said. That is just so beautiful. And I think just really helps acknowledge the gray 
that exists when it comes to practicing natural family planning as a couple, or if you're a woman learning your cycle and you're thinking, okay, something, so things might be going really well, or you're finding, oh, things aren't looking as good as I thought what's going on here. And just to, to go deeper that we don't get stuck in this, just this surface level understanding of who we are, or like you said, it just, pretty much drill it down to, okay, are you avoiding or achieving pregnancy? And so mechanical because then we're, we're losing, we're losing personhood. We're losing that wholeness and understanding of who we are. And why does it, why does it matter to understand how we work or, or what's going on or how spouses work together when it comes to practicing NFP? I mean, there's so much that, so much that can be teased out there and, questions that you can start to ask and really think about, which are so good to do, which I think you're really leading us to do that today and looking at these definitions and taking a step back and saying, okay, before we even jump in to charting your cycle, like, why are we, why are you doing that? You know, if you're a couple practicing NFP, why are you doing it? Like, what, what are the intention? What is the hope and what's going on? And, and maybe the ways in which you're thinking how your marriage needs to be lived out. You know, I think especially in the spaces of infertility where it is so painful or in that space of waiting or secondary infertility, whatever it might look like for an individual, you know, those questions like, am I ever going to be a mom? And what does that look like? And I think we're sometimes flippant or we're uncomfortable when we, when we hear about spiritual motherhood or different ways in which we can take care of and mother. And, you know, what you said earlier, like being an adoptive parent or a foster parent, and that these aren't, they're not less than because you can't have no. your own biological children. But I think because we get so stuck in a specific definition, we think I'm not enough, you know, and it gets so much deep, so much more deep at the worth of who we are um, when we can expand these definitions and really, and recognize, really recognize like the, it doesn't, it's not limited to you birthing a child. It is so much more than that. And so much more beyond that. And God sees that too that's, that's a whole deeper reality and an ocean to explore rather than feeling like you're just stuck in a puddle and going, I, yeah, I see it all. It's mucky. It's yucky. It's gross. Yeah. You know what, Bridget, I just want to challenge everybody, all of you who are listening real quick. You know, I'm talking, I've talked a lot about this with the, how motherhood and fatherhood are, you know, reflective of the first person of the divine Trinity, you know, maybe spend some time thinking about, God the Father, and how St. Augustine talked about how the Father is eternally fathering the Son. And, you know, we talk about the, the Trinity as, oh, well, you know, Jesus is Savior. Yes, he is Savior, but he was not eternally Savior. He was Savior once he came to save us. But in the Trinity, God is eternally fathering the Son. All eternity, constantly, God is eternally fathering the Son, giving of himself pouring out his full love to the son. And what does that mean for you, for your motherhood, for your fatherhood? So just something I want to challenge you guys to, to think about. I love it. And it's a perfect way to wrap up this episode, just to give us some tangibles. Cause I think what I've loved him in talking with you is that you offer such good practicals and just specifics to think about or to act on, or just, you know, really go deep. You know, it's not just sitting here thinking and like, okay, well, I've thought about it. Now I'm confused. And now I'm going to turn off the episode and walk away and never think about it again. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise and the knowledge and, and truly the wisdom that you have in this area and growing your, through growing your ministry and speaking to so many different individuals and being able to challenge us in what, what are the definitions that we're living out and are they, 
are they what God's calling us to, or is it something that we've culturally just accepted or are they confines that we've put on ourselves thinking that, oh yeah, this is how I live out who I am as a woman or a man and I feel dead inside. So I'm just really grateful to you for being here today and, and really teasing this out for us and laying the foundation because it matters and we need more of these conversations so that we understand the why for, for, for why we're charting and why we're choosing what we're doing on a daily basis, especially for women in this space. I mean, I know my mainly target audience here is women, but I know I have some men listening too. you know, what, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And let's actually ask the tough questions instead of numbing out with Netflix. Well, Bridget, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm always happy to, to chat with you and I'm always happy to chat with anybody about this. It really is a joy to to talk about this stuff. Cause I know that this is incredibly personal and incredibly difficult and it, well, we, we, we need to be honest about it. We need to get down to real brass tacks, which I think is about a 200 year old phrase that just made me feel like an 80 year old man. So there we go. <laughs> and we'll be sure to link uh, Tim's information in the show notes. So you can find him at love worth chasing over on Instagram and Facebook, and you can look through his website. We're also going to link to a couple of posts and articles and book recommendations he has as well so that um, you guys can do some more digging in this space and, you know, really take these questions to heart and start thinking about them, journal with them and, and pray about them and thinking about, okay, what, what is the definition that I'm, that I'm living out or confining myself to? And what is God trying to call me to? And he's calling us to more. So Tim, thank you again for being on the show. It's just a joy to talk with you. Oh, anytime. I love it. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you'd like to learn more about fertility awareness, visit www.managingyourfertility.com for more information, resources, guides, and so much more.